I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 20, Christy and the Walking Disaster. Aptly named? I mean, is it? (laughs) No, we we will discuss. Yeah. Okay, I went pretty meager with my one-sentence summary this week. My summary is, Bart is hot. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Emily Emily establishing right at the beginning the most important plot in this book. <laughs> Mine is Christy bonds with Watson and inspires a bunch of klutzy kids while nursing her first serious crush. It's very descriptive. Thank Good you. Job. <laughs> Unlike Emily's. Whatever. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think mine explains the state of Esme's book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it's fair. Uh, it's fair. There's a lot of pages falling out of this puppy. Um, my one sentence summary is Chrissy puts together a softball team of babysitting clients, one of whom is a two-year-old. <laughs> yes. I did not think about that as a kid. And reading that now, I was like, well, who in the fuck? Like, and she described really her <laughs> running the bases. And I was like, I've never seen a two-year-old run in any convincing way that like would lead me to put them on a softball team. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The whole it's it's pretty amazing as an adult, like how baffling Gabby yeah. Perkins is. Because here's the thing, honestly, Gabby's not the only one who would need the wiffle ball. She also has Jamie Newton's only four and Andrew's only four. Like there are other tiny kids on this team. But yeah. Wait, also like she's able to hit the wiffle ball. Let's talk about that. And the bashers are like, whoa. <laughs> Okay, wait, you guys. We should probably tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Anna Chukala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, if you're enjoying it, rate and review us. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You're laughing because none of your friends will rate and review us. I'm laughing because Anne is laughing. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, ever since you told us, you you internally laugh whenever you say, I'm a total individual. It just yeah. makes me laugh too. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I'm a total... Well, it feels like a weird thing to declare about oneself. Uh, well, Yeah. I'm a total individual. Does it? I feel like an individual would be okay with saying they're a total individual. (laughs) I feel like if you're a real individual, you don't need to say you're an individual. It's just evident. (sighs) Emily, what did did you notice in this book? (laughs) Well, Dawn finally gets credited as organized, so I feel validated (laughs) about that. (laughs) All right. That's that's the main plot of this book. (laughs) Yes, Dawn is organized and Bart is hot. I'm sorry. I should have done a longer (laughs) sentence. (laughs) excuse me can we start over my one sentence summary is (laughs) bard is hot and dawn is organized no actually i so i really liked this book and when i finished it i was like i don't have much to say some of it felt a bit absurd it was very very wholesome there are a few sort of things that tap into general kind of gender politics of the 80s but it's very minimal i mean there's a couple comments so so should we do a quick one-liner on the plot of this book? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bart is hot. And um, organized. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, so Christy realizes that um, a bunch of the kids she sits for, including her younger siblings, um, really like softball and are interested in it, but may not be able to be on a team for a bunch of different reasons. So sometimes because... Um, maybe like in the Matt Braddock's case, maybe the team is not accommodating enough and not able to um, sign while they're playing. And in some of the kids' cases, they might try out and not get on a team because 
Jackie Rodowski is a walking disaster. David Michael is too klutzy. And then or some of them are too cute. young. Yeah, or or Gabby Perkins is two and a half. <laughs> and so she Absurd. decides to create a team. <laughs> so, so, But she also learns that another kid in her neighborhood coaches a team that's a, a similar in spirit, right? That's a team for kids that aren't otherwise involved in a t-ball or a little league league. Mm-hmm. And so Christy goes over there and his name is Bart. His team is Bart's, what is it called? The Bashers? Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. I was too distracted by how hot he is. <laughs> oh my God. Just imagining him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Christy's like, oh, swoon. Wow. He's cute. He thinks I'm cute. Wait, sh- will they, won't they? Flirt, flirt, flirt. Like, we're competitive. Let's have our teams play each other is the plot of the book. <laughs> like, I feel like Emily's blushing over Bart right now. Yeah, well, Anne, I think Emily's super into Bart because that's sort of her ideal romantic scenario is to, like, meet someone who is competitive and up to the task to competing with her, but then to ultimately triumph. Yeah, so it's less than ideal in the in that uh, Christie's team didn't win. But yes, Ooh, otherwise. Spoiler. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, my bad. I was supposed to wait till the end of the episode to reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> So throughout the course of this like sort of rivalry between Christie's Crushers and Bart's Bashers, there's only a couple small moments where they mention the fact that Christie's team has girls and Bart's doesn't. And Mm -hmm. there's like a scene where Bart's team comes to sort of scout the Crushers at their practice, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And Christie has this weird sort of train of thought where she's watching um what Bart's doing she's like really paying attention to whether or not he's looking at her and what why he's there and then his team is like sitting behind the um I guess the catcher is what I imagine but from the Mm -hmm. way that they described it and like some of the his team players are sort of heckling the crushers and then a couple of them she keeps looking over and a couple of them keep to seem to have been tasked with distracting him from what they're doing, sort of like getting under their skin, which all felt very advanced to me for uh, like ostensibly seven and nine year olds. <laughs> I don't know. How old, how old is Bart's team? Yeah. I think he said mostly seven to nine, um, maybe a couple 10 year olds. Nine. Yeah. And, and a one year old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, incredible. <laughs> the average age is the so, same, but he has yeah. one So one of the kind of bits that they do, to heckle the crushers is about how there are girls on the team. And so I was thinking about mm-hmm. what, when did this book come out? 88. It did. It, we're not yeah. into 89 yet. I think it's December 88. Oh, this mine says 89. You're right. January 89. I also just noticed that this book is dedicated to the members of the lunch club. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm assuming it's people Anna Martin ate lunch with, but that's but just my, did they play softball with together. Anyway. So I was thinking about like, what would have been, the girls access to little league in 89. And so I was doing a, a very small amount of research on sort of like the landscape of baseball, softball and girls access to little league. And it, I I didn't realize that the sort of title nine part of the sort of education amendments during sort of civil rights era legislation. I didn't realize that title nine was part of civil rights era legislation, first of all. So that's like, a law in the seventies, right. Mm-hmm. That says that like there has to, there can't be sex discrimination in uh, programs that are federally, um, federally funded. So sports was one of the ones that has been majorly sort of litigated on behalf of sort of like title nine grants and claims. So that like, this is why we have parity in like sports teams in high school, right. You can't have a sport that only has boys teams unless you have a equal amount of girls teams in some other sport or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that was in like the early seventies, 1972. So well mm-hmm. before this era. And there was also a, a series of litigation around girls access to little league in also in the early seventies. So fo- just following the sort of title nine education amendments, federal legislation but um well before you know 1989 you have an early new jersey ruling i think in 1973 where the state um supreme court voted in favor of like a couple of girls who wanted to join the little league and then you have a series of challenges at the state level like all the way all across Mm -hmm. the united states i think there are like 10 states 
that file litigation against the Little League in 1973 and 74. And eventually Little League in 1974 just adjusted their charter and was like, girls can join. So Mm -hmm. by this time, it's like technically allowed, right? There are no rules against girls playing in Little League, but I don't think it was that common. You had, so essentially what happened was Little League says, yes, girls can join, but then there's the creation of the kind of softball league that is the girls sort of appendage to boys little league even Mm -hmm. though softball originally is not a girl's invention it's like a a transformation of baseball that comes out of chicago in the late 1800s so that people can play baseball inside right the ball is bigger Mm -hmm. and softer so that it doesn't travel as far so you can play indoors in the cold um chicago winters and i i don't know i thought it was interesting that we're already in an era where like girls have challenged the their exclusion from baseball but there's still they re, those remain like deeply deeply gender segregated sports like into today i mean girls don't play yeah. baseball <laughs> it's absolutely into today and i know that little league technically accepts girls but what happens is that the like early teams and this is i mean both of my girls play softball partly because a, the softball league near us is just wonderful and amazing, but B, the little league you can join. And when it's like T-ball and they're four and five, it's about 50-50. And then very quickly the girls drop off and it ends up being like all boys and one girl by the time they're like seven. Um, and so. Wow, like, that's so yes, early. They join, but it really feels if you go past a little league game and I'm sure this is different in different regions of the U.S. right I'm sure some places are much more literally co-ed um and by the time you get to you know it may partly be a function of us having this really great girls softball league here but it it very quickly peters out and you have to you know it takes something it takes more emotional labor from a girl right to be the only girl on a team versus a team that's even like a third girls you know yeah but I think I thought this book was kind of sweet on that though I mean aside from the fact that like there's a couple digs that the bashers make about the fact that Christy Scrushers has girls in general the boys and girls are super psyched to be on a team together and Mm -hmm. you know there's like when the big game happens and the um you know, the couple of babysitting charges who aren't interested in playing, but who have created a sort of cheerleading accompaniment to the crushers. And then there, and then it's, there's the whole like Charlotte Johansson thing, which is a good corrective from the fallout, the horrible fallout from the pageant. You know, she's like, mm-hmm. I'll make up cheers, but I don't know if I have the courage to join. And then she sort of joins in the last, in the mm-hmm. the game. I mean, it's really had a very wholesome movie arc to it, but mm-hmm. you know, the triplets are in little league, the Pike triplets are in little league and they show up to the game and they join the cheerleaders to sort of like cheer for this team of their, you know, siblings and neighbors. And there's like no, no weirdness around the the co-ed nature of the the sport and everyone's mm-hmm. just kind of like in it for the fun. I thought that was was sweet. Yeah, I think we see a lot of um Anna Martin's larger inclusion agenda in this book, right? Not just about um gender gender parity, but also with Matt on the team and yeah. with, the the bashers are also nasty about a few other things, right? They they make fun of David Michael and Jackie for being klutzy. They call Jake Kuhn a fatso. They call Matt Braddock a dummy. They, I mean, they're pretty nasty. Yeah, they're <laughs> feels yeah, like, pretty horrible. Um, and it's really very much this like ragtag team of misfits that other other teams supposedly would not have. Um, I don't know that we have a ton of evidence of that, but that's Christie's assumption and maybe the kids' assumption um, and kind of how they come together. So yeah. well, I can go through the list that Christy made. Oh. Of, of their of their assumed skills okay oh oh yeah the list is really good yeah gabby perkins two and a half doesn't understand game yet <laughs> fair <laughs> well you're really hung up on yes. gabby perkins's <laughs> oh it, it's an age order it starts it's there. an age order yeah, yeah. <laughs> so jamie newton for afraid of the ball um nina marshall for probably just needs work andrew brewer just needs work Susie Barrett, four, question mark. Mariah Perkins, five, probably just needs work. Claire Pike, five, question mark. Patsy Kuhn, five, haven't even met her yet. Same with Laurel Kuhn. Um, Karen Brewer, six, just needs work. Max Delaney, six, just needs work. So 
A lot of these people obviously aren't good. I'm guessing. <laughs> Buddy Barrett, seven, question mark. David Michael Thomas, seven, a klutz. Annie Papadakis, seven, poor header. Matt Broddick, seven, excellent player, uses sign language. Jackie Wardowski, seven, of walking disaster. Margot Pike, seven, Nikki Pike, eight, question marks. Jacob Kuhn, eight, haven't even met him. Um, Lenny Papadakis, eight, just needs work. So this isn't a very good team. <laughs> there's like I think there's one person that is good. Yeah. And and, yeah. and that's it. It's only Matt. It's only Matt. So funny. But the other thing I was thinking about when I read this is that I've never seen the movie A League of a League of Their Own. <sighs> Gotta go watch it. It's deeply disappointing. It's yeah, really actually, good. can we pause? I'm gonna go watch it. I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> so Emily, what'd you think? Um, it was a great film and thing things happened in it. There were girls who made a league where they would have a place to play. You might argue it was their own. Anyway, everyone should watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that stuck out to you, Em? Not too much aside from the very steamy romance plot. Okay, so listeners, I learned a couple episodes ago that Emily just likes to have crushes on people. <laughs> so this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, huge crush on Bart. <laughs> yeah. Gigantic crush, capital G, capital C. Yeah, I loved that. Described it. Yeah. yeah it's even on the back of the book. Crush with a capital C, exclaim. Wow. Not, not with a K? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, careful, Christie's crushers, KK. I was like, ugh. Yeah. I could get one alliterative adjective away from something very problematic. I know. Yeah. I made a my my friend Hillary when I was in like first grade, we made a club called the Cool Codes Kids Club and it was like oh, four, no. K's. <laughs> four K's. My dad was like okay, though. You can't call it that. <laughs> no. You're like, why? Okay. So as I know you're gonna talk about how team sports are good for kids. So I thought before we get into that, we would kind of go into our own experiences with sports growing up. So I, I can go first. I was, I guess I was sporty, I would say. Yeah, yeah you were definitely sporty, I guess. Yeah, but it, I, here's the thing. I'm not, I don't, I'm not like a, a participatory person. So anything, like I started playing soccer, I think in the fifth grade, but it's only because I was basically kind of forced to by other people. Like, mm. I think, I think Angela's dad was like you're gonna play soccer and I was like why he's like because you're you're like sporty <laughs> so he wasn't wrong yeah uh, so that's why I started playing soccer and I played soccer throughout high school and I played basketball for I think like seventh through ninth grade mm. but yeah I don't know I feel like sports gave me some confidence <laughs> Mm -hmm. But it also was – I had some uh, problematic situations with team sports also. Mm. Is that all you're going to say? About the problems? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I can get like into a it a little bit. I mean, it was just – I think that I had a hard time with the politics of team sports. I like sports because it was like you have a skill. You either like have a skill that is high level or not, and that kind of shows – like if you're on the starting team or like what position you play, how much time you get. And I kind of learned that you, it, it, a lot of it has to do with who's the coach's favorite and mm -hmm. who kind of like had, you know, the best leadership skills. And that's a good thing, but it's like, it wasn't solely based on you're a good player, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you're going to get the most time playing or whatever it was, but it also has to do with the coaches, I feel. And also just like the the dynamics between different teammates also can yeah. be like kind of can be difficult. And also, of course, I'm I'm very introverted. So <clears throat> I'm not someone I'm very much a person who just wants to people to judge me by what I put out there, not by like what I say or like necessarily like how how charming I am or like how I can like play up to the coach and stuff. So mm -hmm. for me, it was like a very frustrating experience of being like, I'm clearly better than this person, but you don't like me for some reason. Mm. So you're, <clears throat> I, I am labeled as being insubordinate. <laughs> uh, and then therefore I'm being punished for it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Emily sports. 
You are also sporty. Oh, yeah. My relationship to sports is very, very, very complicated. I think I've always been a bit of a head case. And so, like, to me, my Aaron and I were both pretty good athletes, sort of naturally. But I had I have a bit more of like a performance anxiety than Aaron did. And I was also very smart as a kid. So thing like understanding how the game worked always came very intuitively to me. So I struggled with like not wanting to disappoint people and balancing that with enjoying the experience (laughs) and then like feeling like I was frustrated by things that other people didn't get on the team that that seemed intuitive that were intuitively easy for me to understand so there was like always a weird there were like three layers of it that all introduced like different levels of challenge one is just the like physical play right and then there's the kind of like mental game and then there's the the team coordinating kind of strategy dimension of it. But I played sports my whole life. I mean, Aaron and I both were three sport athletes most of the way through high school. Our dad made us do karate from the time we were very small until we graduated high school, essentially. He was originally like, if you want to move away to school, you need to be black belts. But neither one of us made it that far because we got distracted with other extracurricular activities. But we did it the whole way through. We did. We both started with softball, and then it was basketball, and then volleyball. But volleyball was my sport by the end of high school, and Aaron was a both volleyball basketball person. But I play. I mean, I play now. Well, not now in the pandemic, but before the pandemic happened, this was my first summer living in New York City where I didn't play softball, and I was playing like a year-round Tuesday night volleyball league before this, which is just like casual and fun. But grownups playing casual co-ed sports is never as casual as people say it is it's a very like crushers versus bashers situation you know we're all here to have fun <laughs> we're grown-ups but like really when something doesn't go wrong it's very very upsetting I don't know man sports were I I feel like on the one hand they were super formative and like really a huge part of my life and on the other hand an incredible source of anxiety <laughs> yeah um I was not sporty um <laughs> And knows. I did do a little, like a minor, minor stint in organized sports um, and like only at the most awkward ages. So mm. I, you know, I didn't. You were join on the same team. soccer team. Yeah. We were on the same rec soccer team where you don't have to try out. I didn't join the team until seventh grade. So I was in it for seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, which in, uh, I think in most of the United States, but. Uh, it seemed like particularly in Sacramento, if you didn't start playing youth soccer at age four, five or six, you were way behind. Um, mm-hmm. I did not understand the game. Um, <laughs> I did not know what I was doing. I could not handle the ball. Um, I was half back because I had good endurance. I could run a lot. And so I would just run back and forth on the field and theoretically back somebody up the one Uh, quote unquote goal I scored was because my teammate Angela, whose dad was coach, happened to be standing like outside the goal where I aimed poorly and it bounced off of her shin guards and went in at an angle like I was playing billiards. And that was my goal that I scored in three years of soccer. Billiards? You know, like I like I set up the angle. I didn't on purpose. No, no. Like you were playing pool. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Got it. Anyway, uh, so I did other organized things when I was, you know, I was a Girl Scout all the way through. And I did, I took dance classes that did not help me become more coordinated. I had some coordination issues. That uh, we also took dance more. classes together. Yeah, we were in jazz dance together. And I oh took four God. years of ballet that did not make me more graceful one bit. But I played one year of high school sports. Uh, I was on the JV soccer team when Ann was on the varsity team our freshman year. And I oh, just, shit. my main- Ann played varsity as a freshman damn yeah oh yeah and and was not to be messed with on the field um (laughs) but I think that my main memory honestly it just wasn't for me that like the the pressure of it even though Angela's dad Jeff was a lovely coach and he was not pressure like our rec soccer team was really nice like people were very nice I was definitely the worst person on the team and people didn't weren't mean about it. Like it was like a a well, what I would consider a well run youth experience, Uh youth sports experience. But um, I hated games. I -hmm. only liked practice, which is how most kids that like sports feel the opposite. Right. And I remember every minute I was in the game, I would be in my head going, 
take me out, pull me out, pull me out, pull me out. When do I get it out? When do I like, it was just riddled with anxiety and dread and Uh there was no enjoyment at all. I was not invested. I didn't care if we won or lost. I did. I wanted the ball to stay as far away from me as possible on the field the whole time. So that was I'm, my experience. I'm laughing because this is the segue into team sports are good for kids, especially girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <we're> like, <laughs> I think the problem, yeah, so we could talk about that. But I think, you know, I think there's a, there's a few different things that can lead to them not being helpful. And I think we've mentioned many of them, right? And so um, one is that it's not great um, if kids are super mismatched, which is one of the reasons I think The Crushers is such a lovely story, right? Is that if any of those kids tried to play with kids that had been playing a long time or with kids who had like a lot of older siblings that played, they would have gotten really discouraged really quickly and thought, I'm not good at this, which is what I thought, right? I sort of had this idea in my head you know, that this is just not for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a person that can do these things when it, it was very, it was very much not well matched. Right. Like I, sh- I, if I was going to join a sport late, I should have joined something that everybody hadn't been playing since they were five. Right. Right. That was not effective. Um, and I think the, the politic piece that you both are talking about is another thing, especially when things get competitive that really can screw kids over. And you can find a lot of think pieces about, um, you know, youth sports gone wrong and early specialization and hyper competitiveness and things like that. So those problems are there. And I think particularly at the high school level, particularly if you're at a competitive school, those kinds of things can be really challenging. Or if you get in like travel leagues um, when kids are younger, uh, there can be a lot of toxic culture around it. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of problems when I know, and I'm not saying that your dad did this, Emily, but I noticed you said, my dad made us do karate all the way through, whereas you described the other sports as sort of like things that you did. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a problem for a lot of kids, right? It's not It's not like, hey, you, you should play a sport. What sport do you want to do? But like, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, and, well, I yeah. will say in Pete's defense, it was not, uh, I'm making you do this because it's a sport. It was like, I'm making you do this because you need to be able to defend yourself. <laughs> yeah. It was, but yes, point taken. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is, this harkens back to our Stacy episode, right? If you're going to move to New York city, last time I was there, it was a seventies. So you need to be able right. to, to murder the pickpocket <laughs> essentially. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With your but bare so, hands. <laughs> so those are, those are all the caveats, right? Like yeah. the, 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 in general, in aggregate, um, team sports specifically do confer a lot of benefits to kids. And obviously, when we're talking all the time, I've said this before in this podcast, when I'm talking about psychology, I'm talking about in aggregate. And that that doesn't mean that like, dear listener or dear Anne or Emily, your experience is not valid. Um, obviously, when we're talking about people as a group, it doesn't apply to every person in the group, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways for this to go south. Um, the characteristics of positive sporting experiences or what you talk about, like a supportive coach doing what Christy was doing, which is meeting each kid where they are. Right. And not saying like, okay, we're all going to be playing at this level, but saying like, okay, well, we got to get Jamie to be less afraid of the ball. And that's my goal for Jamie. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to control Jackie a little bit. That's my goal for Jackie, whatever it is. Um, so that, so, and then having a generally supportive environment that's not hyper, hyper competitive, that is focused on increasing skill and on like, team building and camaraderie and less on the competition and, and winning at all costs. Mm-hmm. Of course, parents are humans and coaches are humans and some people are more competitive than others. And it's really easy for that stuff to take over. Right. Um, in good situations, what kinds of things do you think kids get from sports? Teamwork. <laughs> Confidence. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh- so Fresh air. <laughs> Good job using self-efficacy, Anne. Well, I see yeah. that you wrote it down here, so yeah. I just said it. <laughs> She's cheating. Basically, there, there's a ton of studies. So when I went to do this, I, I, there were a couple literature reviews that I pulled, but I, I mean, the 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 data is wide. Um, but basically, it helps with all those things that you're saying. It seems to be a protective factor from depression. It increases overall resilience, and um, I found this great study from Australia with a, um, over 4,000 participants, and they looked at kids 8 to 10 um, with a two-year follow-up, so when they were 10 to 12. 
and they looked at health-related quality of life. Um, and this was reported by parents and teachers. So this is perceptions, beliefs, expectations, and experiences related to physical, social, and psychological health, and found that engaging in team sports had made significantly, statistically significant improvements in those things over two years compared to kids who didn't do sports or did only individual sports, mm. and that the effects were greater for girls than for boys. So, you know, I think there's, like I said, there's a lot of data about it. And the, and the trick is to make sure that it's done well and it's not over the top, but that kids really do benefit from working together in this way and improving skills over time. We, we also know that just generally in psychology, one of the best treatments for depression and one of the a really important predictor of overall well-being is how much time you spend building mastery. So doing something that is hard for you, but not too hard that you're getting better at over time. Hmm. So for some people that's continued athletic pursuits for other people, it's, you know, learning a language or learning how to cook better or doing, but we, we, we feel better and we do better in life when we're continuing to build mastery. Um, and so I think it's related to that and it's building habits and doing that early on. Hmm. Anne's making a weird disgust face. No, I just was like, I don't think I'm building any mastery in anything right now. That that may be, I mean, I don't know if people you work with listen to this podcast, but that may be part of the problem. Well, okay. Well, excluding <laughs> excluding work, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I, I thought that it was a nice encapsulation of... When done um, well, what the benefits well. are. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny when at the end Bart's like so, this sort of observant 13-year-old dude is like, you know what I really appreciate about your players is like they'll do anything for the team. It's like, what? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> you watch them for two hours one day. <laughs> I think Bart's right, but also, if you know, Harkening back to our, is Logan a believable 13-year-old? Like, do we think Bart would be that observant? I don't know. We don't know him well enough, I guess, but. Yeah, well, it, if he's as sexy as you say he is, Emily, I feel like he would be. No, he's hot. He's not sexy. <laughs> okay. It's a very important difference. <laughs> Define that difference, please. I won't. <laughs> okay. Uh, this book really isn't that much about Jackie Radowski, even though he is referred to in the title. Yeah, um, why? Why is that the title of this book? I, I want I kind of wondered if maybe she started out making it more about him because he is like, you know, he uh, he ends it as well. Right. He he knocks over a lamp in the last paragraph of the book when he calls when um, Christy calls to say how proud she was of him. But yeah. But I thought no, I was going to say that I thought. Right in the beginning, there's an exchange between Don and Christy at the meeting where Don doesn't want to babysit for Jackie because he's so accident prone. But on that job is not where Christy comes up with the idea for the crushers. Mm -mm. Yeah. Which I was confused about. I thought that was that's what that exchange at the meeting was setting us up for. But she comes up with the idea like at home babysitting her siblings. Yeah. So, like, why? I don't know. But this is a time when we get to spend a little bit more time with Jackie. And so um, in my tradition of diagnosing phys uh, fictional characters, um, I think Jackie might have something called developmental coordination disorder. Mm. Um, have you guys heard of this before? No. No. Okay. So it's a neurological um, developmental disability um, that is used to be called dyspraxia. Um, but the new version of the new name for it is developmental coordination disorder. And it's basically um, sometimes referred to as clumsy child syndrome. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Anne, I want you to think back to seven, eight, nine-year-old Esme and see what you think. Um, so characteristics of DCD, unsteady walk, difficulty going downstairs, frequently dropping objects, running into other people, frequent tripping, Difficulty tying shoes, putting on clothes, and other self-care activities. Difficulty performing school activities like writing, coloring, and using scissors. I mean, honestly, I don't remember you being exhibiting any of those traits, really. I would say oh. you're a little bit, um, un like, uncoordinated. Mm -hmm. But I never, I don't, you weren't, like, dropping things or 
tripping. Well, maybe tripping. I was tripping (laughs) and I was dropping things. And my only C's were in handwriting. My handwriting was terrible all through elementary school. So this is a it's a it's a fairly common thing. And basically what happens with DCD is it's not that kids with DCD can't learn physical activities. It's just it's a developmental disorder. They're a little behind. So it takes them longer to learn how to do things regarding physical coordination. Mm -hmm. So they're just behind their peers. So like a typical kid with DCD, if they're, say, 10 and in the fifth grade, they might have um, motor coordination of like a six or seven year old. So they're just behind the curve. And with a lot of practice, they can keep going. But what often happens, and again, what I think happened with me, is that you can become self-conscious and you can think like, oh, that's not for me. Those sport things, those, you know, my experiences in PE in elementary school led me very clearly to believe like, oh, I cannot do these things. I like the phrase Um, sport things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm an indoor kid. I'm less so now than I was. I definitely do more adult softball and things like that. What's your softball team called? We don't have a team. That's the thing. Emily said that it's uh, we we just call it awkward softball. But there's you know, we don't play other people, though. There's no bashers. It's just like crushers versus crushers. And it's there's just two there's two rules in my softball league. I think Emily knows what they are. Do you remember them, Emily? No, but I think I broke both of them. Yeah, you probably did. Number one is don't be good. And number two is if you break rule number one, don't be a dick about it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So so basically what you have to do if you identify that your kid has DCD is get them to do sports, continue with them, even though they're going to be behind. And it's pretty essential that you have the kind of heart that Jackie displays. Right. So even though he has a really hard time and even though he throws his bat and knocks over all the refreshments like that's so awful and embarrassing, like I could just feel it in my in my gut. I'm sure I did something very similar to that, like to then be able to get back in the game and keep playing um, is exactly what will help him, you know, continue to improve over time. Are you crying? No. (laughs) Okay, I do think we're overusing that joke, like actually (laughs) disagree. Anyway. So yeah, what do you what do you guys think about that? Does that seem plausible? I mean, he does all these things in in every book that he's in. So mm-hmm. I would say yes, he has that. Yeah. And luckily, it seems like even though it's clear that he hasn't been diagnosed or at least that's not shared with people, he has um sort of some basic self-efficacy to get back to that that he's willing to like keep trying mm-hmm. um when encouraged. Um yeah. so I'm glad he's on the crushers and not with some like douchey softball coach who's yelling at him all the time. Like on the bashers. Yeah. (laughs) Hot. (laughs) I was just going to ask, would that make Bart hotter if he's yelling at the children, (laughs) Emily, but I didn't need to ask. (laughs) No, obviously not. Well, speaking of Bart. Yeah. So Esme, do you find him as hot? As Emily does. I he's cute. Yeah, I'm into Bart Taylor. I can see. I can. Are see you into him because of his personality or like how he is described? I mean, he's not described that much. I mean, he has brown hair and, and beautiful eyes. Yeah, Hot. I mean, that's all it takes for me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Just described almost every boy I ever liked. <laughs> beautiful eyes. Yeah, brown hair, beautiful eyes. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good. Wow. <laughs> so. You know, in the past, I have I, I've looked up fan fiction, mm-hmm. and one of the things I read was fan fiction about Junior and Charlie. Right. Yeah. Love. I'm so, really here for that fanfic. Fan yeah. 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 So I was like, oh, you know what? I bet I bet there's some Bart Taylor, Christy Thomas fan fiction out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was right. Mm-hmm. So you know, I started reading through several fanfics, but I cannot read any of them. On this podcast, because they're they're very smutty. They're full. It's like just like it made me feel really really uncomfortable. It's like softcore porn. Yeah, it's like very like. Or is it just porn? No, it's not porn. But it's like, and one of these, Christy is depicted as just like a real horn dog. <laughs> and I was like, and it was I was like reading it, and I was like, oh, this is making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just. I, I can't. They're still 13. Yeah. They're still 13. And they describe Bart's member as being 
as big as like a Coke bottle. I'm, what? I don't know which part of that sentence I'm more upset about the fact that you know, it's the that Aiden said it. member. That's <laughs> what's most upsetting. That's what I was just gonna say. Use the it words. Really, it's really I don't know why I didn't say penis. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's not a word you would normally shy away from using. Wait, they say members of the podcast. Yeah. Oh God. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I said member. Um, oh my god! So there is a lot. There is a couple of fan fiction pieces where it's just a lot of making out and kind of like raunchy teen stuff. Mm-hmm. And another one is um, where Chrissy gets pregnant. Oh, by Bart. Like, so I'll read the scene where she takes a pregnancy test. Oh no, Disney doesn't like it. <laughs> The pregnant the pregnancy test in my hand, I walked to the cubicle, locked it. I don't know why it's a cubicle, but locked it and sat down on the toilet seat. Tell me the instructions again, I said. Two plus signs and you're pregnant, Mary answered quietly. And two minus signs and I'm not, right? I answered. Right, all the girls said. I looked. All and the they girls. Proved everything that I worried about these last two weeks. I put the sticks in the sanitary bin. I wouldn't be using that in a long time. I was due on last week. Nothing had happened. Now I had to tell Bart and my family. Easier said than done. Well, here's why that's not true. Chrissy doesn't have her period yet. <laughs> I know. Well, this is a couple years. I think she's my. I think she's 14. Her and Bart are still. Which I was like, could they have just made her like 17 or something? Like, does she have to be 14? Yeah. Anyway, so I wonder if what anyone sex education would have been like in middle school in Connecticut in the oh. late 80s. Do you think they had sex ed? Yeah, they definitely had sex ed. But like how I had it in Central California in the late 90s, early aughts or like actual sex ed? (laughs) No, I think it would have been more actual sex ed because this Mm. was before the ascendancy of the Christian right. Right. Like this was like it was on its way up, but it hadn't taken over like suburban Connecticut school districts. I wouldn't think. Yeah, maybe not. What was I don't remember what our sex, sex ed was. When did we, what grade were we in? Fifth or sixth. I just remember the one of, it was the, it was sixth because it was the other teacher that we didn't have. The lady teacher took all the girls and then asked if anybody had a tampon to show the class. And so embarrassed one of the girls that already had her period by asking to borrow a tampon from her. That's wow. exactly the same story I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not mentioning her name this time because. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, in my in sixth grade at my school, you could so you could opt out. Your parents could sign a piece yeah, of paper. They would opt yeah. you out of it. And essentially, what year would I have been in sixth grade? I was in sixth grade in eighty nine ninety. So okay, so it would have been, been ninety nine ninety nine. It was essentially all like videos that were animated that showed you how. Like what happened to your blood cells when you got HIV and it was all like, don't get AIDS, essentially, was the entirety of the sex education that we got in 1999 in Central California. (laughs) Almost nothing about sex itself. Um, A little bit about like what the reproductive organs looked like, like charts about them. Um, Nothing about menstruation, nothing about safe sex, nothing. It was all like, this is what happens to you when you get AIDS. Don't get AIDS. Yeah, pretty bad. I think ours was mostly about menstruation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ours was definitely (laughs) about menstruation and how to put in a tampon. That's one of my favorite conversations to eventually have with my classes at the undergraduate level um, because I often teach classes that are about women in politics, gender, political theory. And so inevitably once a semester, like what was your sex education like comes up and my students, you know, I have a bunch of traditional college students and non-traditional college students. So there is a wide age range and the complete range in sex education is always wild, but I've never met a student, I've never had a student that had like a proper comprehensive sex education ever. And they come from all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, they got to move to Berkeley in in 2020. It's really. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what, did they, what is it like now? Uh, I mean, it's just really thorough. It's co-ed mm-hmm. because they're like, yeah, uh, 
boys need to know about girls' bodies and girls need Mm -hmm. to know about boys' bodies and why did we separate kids for years? And there's a focus on all different kinds of sex and the different functions of it. And there's a focus on pleasure and there's a bunch about consent. And then there's a bunch about different forms of birth control. There's a bunch about, I mean, it's like everything. That's more than I know. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Can I go? Can you, next time that happens, I'll come up. I'll I'll bring you notes my mom. (laughs) Class. (laughs) Non-exempted. Yeah, no, yeah, you need to know. Yeah. Any other pop culture, Annie? Um, oh, there was a mention of Muppet Babies. So Oh yeah. Didn't um who had a baby Kermit uh, band-aid? Gabby. It was Gabby. Gabby Gabby had a band-aid with pictures of baby Kermit. Oh, such a good show. Emily, did you watch Muppet Babies? No. Do you know what Muppet Babies is? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, I guess. Everything I know about the Muppets I know because I'm related to Esme. Okay. I would like to ask if either of you had seen the new Paddington movies, particularly Paddington 2, which came out. I have out. seen both Paddington movies. So Matt, Matt, my partner Matt, his favorite movie of what year was that? 2018 was Paddington 2. Um, he dressed as Paddington last year for Halloween. And I remember the Paddington books, but Paddington has never been such a like central figure in my life ever until the last couple of years. And I was very pleased to see that Paddington Bear has an appearance in this book. Did you notice that? Yes. I did notice that Paddington was in this book. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah, saw there Paddington a klutz, An example of a klutz. Yes. And yes, then Eloise and, and then, yeah, Christy describes Jackie as Paddington Bear plus Eloise with the niceness of Charlie Bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I saw Paddington 2 in the movie theater and when we exited the movie, there was a Paddington bear there. <gasps> so I, I have a photo with him. Amazing. Wow. That's so cool. You yeah, met a famous. Cool. I met a fam- famous bear. <laughs> I'll try to find the photo and I'll maybe put it on Instagram. Great. I like that you said maybe <laughs> in order to make sure that you don't. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't yeah, have yeah. to. <laughs> Incredible. Speaking of famous bears, I feel like this book um, shows us more evidence that Anna Martin went to the like Fozzie Bear school of comedy because this is the third or fourth time that bananas have been a stand in for funniness. Mm. Um, There's there's, um, you know, she thinks she thinks bananas are funny. There's there's a Margot Pike. There's the flying banana on the cruise. And now somebody's hitting somebody and saying zonk, zonk, zonk while they carry a banana. Is oh, yeah. <laughs> like, there's just bananas. Bananas are funny. Well, I funny. guess they are pretty funny. Yeah. Are they? You can, like, use it as a phone. <laughs> That's bound to happen in one of these books. <laughs> Any other pop culture, Annie? Not really. It's pretty slim pickings on the pop culture in this book. Mm-hmm. But Claudia's candy, she has a new, a new snack. Mm. She's doodles. Mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting because I'm a fan. Uh, mini candy bars, which reminds me of our uh, callback to, we can call back to Mr. Mr. Goodbar, hint of mm-hmm. Mr. Goodbar. Mm-hmm. Doritos. Malamars, which I think also may be a new addition. Oh, yeah. We haven't seen Malamars before. What's a Malamar? I, am I going to regret asking that? Yeah, I'm going to send you a package yeah. of them tomorrow. I, I don't want that. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> well, let's it's guess. Like- Emma, no. Oh, good idea. Yeah. What do you think a Malamar is in? Is there a marshmallow in it? Mm-hmm. Keep going. That's all I got. Come on. There uh is there a malt something in it? Malted marshmallow chocolate something. It's not bad. That's my guess. <laughs> I mean that's basically it. I think it has a it has a graham cracker bottom. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a s'mores. Yeah. In cookie oh. form, and it's and it's it's covered in chocolate. They're pretty good. Yeah. Actually, will, will you send me some too? Yeah. <laughs> you can just send them to Anne. You don't have to send them to me. <laughs> anyway, and then gummy bears and uh, Twinkies. Mm-hmm. Always Twinkies. Always Twinkies. It's a classic. Um, I'm still having trouble with the Mallory tallies, so maybe you two can help me. Um. We get two sensitives, a shy, a babyish. Babyish is on the on the come up again. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated. Uh, Claudia's eyes are still almond shaped. 
Dawn still likes health food. Mallory is practical, but now we get cool-headed, which is well, I feel like another... that's the same as level-headed, right? Right. But I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm finding myself using lots of synonyms for Mallory, whereas I don't, when for it says else. that Dawn is independent, I don't code that as Dawn being a total individual. Yeah. So I just don't know which are the right trigger words for Mallory yet. Or am I still just going to code the synonyms for now because they're Horse. so little? <laughs> Horse. <laughs> Yeah, so you're not going to answer my question. That's fine. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> what did you ask a question? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Hannah and Emily don't answer my question. She asked for help, and we just didn't help her. Basically, yeah. Mm, no, it's a dangerous precedent. That's fine. I'll be the hero of the podcast. Everyone will be rooting for me as the underdog. You guys are so mean. It's cool. I don't know how you're going to be both the coach and the underdog. I feel like that's a bit. <laughs> It's doable. Okay. Uh, the only social justice things were the insults that the bashers say to the crushers, which were meant to be insults. So I don't really think it's a bad language oversight on Anna Martin's part. Do you guys not think Bart's hot? No, I think Bart's hot. Okay. And I mean, do I think he's hot as a 42-year-old or do I think he's hot <laughs> as like me reading this in 1988? I mean, interpret how you will. I mean, he sounds cute. I wouldn't say he's hot though. I just, I think it's hot that he's like, look... I heard about what my players did. That was bad. Like, you guys are great. Here are all the things that are great about you. Let's go on a walk. Hot. That's hot. <laughs> okay. The next time you have your, like, your fun crush at the, you know, at the coffee shop or in the subway. Oh, yeah. He, his code name has to be Bart. Great. <laughs> Incredible. Met a new Bart today. You guys will be very pleased to know. <laughs> From now on. Okay. I do. I want to go back to this scene that Emily is describing that there that is like, the, the, well, the other thing about Bart, I think that's, that is maybe I would say cute more than hot, but I do think that this is the most believable romance p- potential we've seen so far in terms yeah, of hot. how 13 thir- year olds act <laughs> and like Christy walking the dog to go, to go past Bart's house. Like, who didn't do those kinds of things? I certainly did. Um, and this, you know, he asked her to walk home. And then how does he actually ask her out? Like, so he first asks for another game. And then um, and then he says, okay, only on one condition. And Christy says, on one condition? And he says, yes, that in between games, we act like something other than rival coaches. Christy says, what do you mean? says well how about like friends or maybe we could go out sometime to a ball game or something would that be okay with you um and so yeah it is just very cute no he's hot you're not wrong i know thank you god i like that he's like can i come to a meeting at the babysitter's club and chrissy's like do you want to be a babysitter and he's like no and she's like then fuck no meetings are serious they're not gonna come to a meeting yeah, I like that part. Yeah, I did too. Can I come to your job and hang around? No, no I'm working. because I'm if working. Bart, yeah, if Bart went to one of the one of the meetings, someone would say bra. I know. And yeah, wow. Just geez. and then later they'd have to go on a walk, and Bart would be like, "Look, I know it was really embarrassing that your friend said bra, but like, I think it's cool. You guys are girls. You wear bras." Logan would never have that kind of a conversation. I'm just saying. It's true. Does Dawn ever get a crush? Oh yeah. Okay, great. I can't wait till we get there. Wow. <laughs> so excited. Other than other than shitty Parker, you mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that was yeah. an alternate universe. That didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Claudia hasn't had like a real intense crush yet. Trevor. Oh yeah, duh, Trevor. <laughs> I forgot about Book him. Two. <laughs> two was eighteen so books ago as me. <laughs> this is like middle of the pandemic. I uh, know. I know. Okay, favorite lines. I. My favorite line was on page um, 57. I like when Christy's like watching the team in the outfield and then she yells uh, at Hanny Papadakis, who's looking for four leaf clovers. Hanny heads up and left field just, <laughs> Hanny just replies, left field is boring. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> no. Yeah, I just, I really enjoyed that. My other favorite line, the, I just, all of mine were one-liners that the kids say back to Christy in some context. My other one is on page 68. I like when Christy's, like, giving a litany of, like, stop doing this, stop doing that. And Jamie replies to her, I'm a tightrope tight walker, coach. 
<laughs> yeah. Wait, this re- can I tell a tight tightrope story? Sure. Because I have one. Okay. Just because we're talking about boys and dating and stuff. So one of my good friends went on like, you know, I think it might have been like a Tinder date or like, a, I don't know, some online date with a guy in the park. And they met in the park. This is in, in, in New York. And was it at know, McCarran Park? No, I actually think it wasn't. It might have been Central Park, I think. Oh. And he like had a backpack and he, like put it down the grass. And then they're talking. And then I think my friend just took the bait and was like, oh, what's in your backpack? Because it was like kind of a big backpack. And he was like, oh. And he had a tightrope with him that oh. he set up in the park. And was like, I thought we could try this together. And she was like, what? I don't want to do this. Was it like a slack line or like a proper tightrope? No, it was like, you know, I think it had like two stakes mm-hmm. and then like some sort of rope or something that oh you proceeded to like walk across and like do some kind of not that impressive tricks on. Did they go on a second date? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's a there's a hot tip for our, you know, seven heterosexual male listeners that they should not do that on a first date. Well, we have seven. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line by far was when Christy hears about Bart for the first time. Um, Amanda Delaney saying like, oh, he has a team. It's called Bart's Bashers. Um, and because initially Christy was just going to see if the kids that were interested could join Bart's team. She didn't think of starting her own team. And then, uh, she says, who is he anyway to Amanda? And Amanda's first line back is he's this kid. That's the whole (laughs) sentence, (laughs) which I feel is like very much how like an eight or nine year old would describe a a hot 13 year old boy. Yeah. Some hot guy. (laughs) That's my favorite. He's this kid. Uh my favorite line was after Don's um, entry before like Bart came with the team to check out the crushers and mm-hmm. Don notices there was like a tense moment between Bart and Christy mm-hmm. and Christy's first um, sentence after reading Don's entry is talk about whoa <laughs> Don doesn't miss a thing <laughs> very observant Talk about whoa. That's, That's pretty good. good. Talk about whoa. I like all those lines. I feel like left field is boring is the best, like it is it is a softball baseball themed book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's true. Nice. But it's also a Bart themed book and he's this kid. He's this yeah. kid. Well actually I feel like it's not a it's not a, a line from the book. We should it just be Bart is hot. <laughs> I mean whoa. <laughs> it's a line from our podcast. It's my one sentence summary. I have it written into the f- jacket of my book if anyone wants to buy this one <laughs> bart is hot period yeah I, I i don't want it to be bart is hot but i'm okay with any of the others okay well i'm feeling a very libra today and i would like to not make a decision and it's your call I, I let's go with left field is boring okay great great you seem so enthusiastic about it i am it's i won <laughs> it's a competition i destroyed you what chili pizza toast do well, well, we can we can pizza toast to Bart is hot. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've talked about that a lot already. <laughs> I, would, I would like to pizza toast to uh, Watson and Christie's relationship continuing oh, to develop in this book. But, blah blah blah. So wholesome. <laughs> you're such a dick. It's really cute. It is specifically cute. Right. It is specifically nice. that she goes to him for help and like she gets a thumbs up from him in the stands and you know he like says all the right things and then after Bart asks her out she and, like the little description of it is so cute. She like thanks him for complimenting her about the game. And then she just uh, she's thinking about hugging him, but he's down covered in peat moss where he's gardening. And then she says, instead, I blurted out, Bart wants to go to a ball game with Bart wants me to go to a ball game with him. He wants us to be friends or maybe more than friends, I thought. And Watson just says, wonderful and smiles at her. And it's just very sweet. It's very cute. I like also when I think she during the game, she tells David Michael, like, just do your best. And he's like, "Okay, Watson. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we could we could pizza toast to OK, Watson. (laughs) 
I just really like as a kid, I did not notice at all any of the Watson subplots. Like, right. I didn't have a step parent. Right. I just wasn't paying attention to that at all. And I think it's really nicely rendered. Okay, so I, I do think we should pizza toast to that. But mm-hmm. I'd also like to point out that when they're making their t-shirts, I did think Watson could have sponsored them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it could Sun have been their, their their team could have been called Watson's Toasters. Wow. That would have been really good. They could have toasted the bashers. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, missed opportunity. Should we make Watson's Toasters teas (laughs) for our (laughs) merch shop? I think a couple more people need to buy Thomas Kishi buttons before we put a lot of time and energy into Watson's Toaster teas. Fine. If you want a Watson's Toaster baseball tea, you you let us know, audience. If you're listening. If you're listening, if you hit this bar. <laughs> so how should we frame the toast? I think just to Watson is fine. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a full toast to Watson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pizza toast to Watson. To Watson. To Watson. Toasters. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.